Today on Truth in Politics and Culture, who is Representative Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, and why are Democrats so afraid of him? South Carolina Representative Ralph Norman will join me today to talk about the new Speaker and the path forward for Republicans. A mass shooter with military training who left 22 dead and many wounded is still at large, and Israel conducts a temporary ground war in Gaza. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. All right, good morning, everybody, who is uh, watching live and listening live to Facebook this morning. And uh, if it, by the way, you can find me at Christian Worldview with Dr. Tony Beam. It's my old Facebook page, just haven't changed it yet. It's a big pain, actually, to do that. So uh, you can find me there. And if you're listening to the podcast, thanks for following me and listening whenever you're listening. All right. Um, I don't know if my voice is ever going to get back to normal. I keep thinking I'm going to crack this microphone and I'm going to sound like I'm supposed to sound. And then I end up having coughing fits during the day uh, that tells me that my allergies and this lingering cold um, still has a a foothold here uh, on me in some way or another. So anyway, hopefully that's going to pass. All right. Yesterday was a big day in the House of Representatives. Mike Johnson, Republican Louisiana, received the vote of every Republican House member winning the gavel in a 220 to 209 vote. Now, this is this is really interesting that Jim Jordan couldn't do that. Steve Scalise couldn't do that. And they're both senior, of course, to Mike Johnson in terms of their leadership position, uh, their high-profile position in the House. Uh, Tom Emmer couldn't get the votes. And before we talk about Mike Johnson, I want to talk a little bit about why these guys failed where Mike Johnson was able to prevail. What you were looking for in a speaker is somebody who could satisfy the conservatives because they are conservative and would lead the House in a conservative direction, something that a lot of conservatives believe that uh, Kevin McCarthy was not willing to do, that he was too quick to negotiate with Democrats, which is the reason, one of the reasons that was given by Gates that McCarthy had to go. So the, the, the conservatives wanted somebody like Jim Jordan. They wanted somebody like Steve Scalise. Uh, they didn't want Tom Emmer because they considered him to be too moderate. The moderates didn't want Jim Jordan, and they didn't want Steve Scalise because they believed that both of them were too much of a lightning rod. Steve Scalise went down. His vote was probably the most interesting, at least to me, because Steve Scalise lost because there were so many conservatives that really wanted Mike Jordan. They didn't think Steve Scalise was as conservative as Jordan, so they didn't vote for him. And then when they voted for Jordan, the moderates revolted because Jim Jordan, rightly or wrongly, is seen as a lightning rod in the House. He's he's kind of a... he's portrayed as a conservative bomb thrower, and he is sort of a, a, a strong-arm kind of guy. I mean, he was wrestling coach. You know, he was, he's, he's a guy who 
wants to pin his opponents, let's put it that way, and he doesn't mind twisting some arms to get things done. He's willing to put pressure, and some people don't respond very well to that. And so I think some of that hurt Jordan and his bid to become speaker. So they had to they had to find somebody that would be conservative enough to satisfy the conservatives who believed that he would actually lead in a conservative way. And, and, and then they had to find somebody, by the same token, who was not high profile enough to scare away the moderates. You know, the moderates were willing to vote for a conservative in order to get a speaker because they realized they didn't have the votes to put a moderate in as speaker, that people who are more conservative, at least the House members, far outnumber the moderates in the House, but they do have a considerable voting block, enough to keep Jim Jordan from being elected speaker. So these these moderates who got elected in places like New York and California, uh, in blue or purple districts, where they know that they're going to have a difficult time getting reelected to start with, and they didn't want the Democrat National Committee or the Democrat uh, Campaign Committee to be able to paint them as right-wing zealots who were uh, Trump acolytes in districts where that would hurt them for re-election. And they knew if they voted for Jim Jordan that that's exactly what would happen. So someone like Mike Johnson became a, a clear alternative because Mike Johnson is conservative. In fact, he's a Southern Baptist. How about this? We Southern Baptists now have a Speaker of the House. Um, being Southern Baptist means he's an evangelical Christian who says that his faith informs everything that he does. He's also a constitutional lawyer who fights for Christian values in the courtroom. He and his wife, Kelly, co-host a podcast called Truth Be Told, uh, where they discuss current political affairs and other issues from a biblical perspective. Now, don't, don't abandon my program for their program. Just add their program to your listening. I mean, everybody, you, you need to be uh, drinking from a lot of wells, so to speak, when it comes to uh, good conservative thought. Um, and so, and I don't know if they're going to be able to continue their podcast or not. I don't know how often uh, it appears, but I'm impressed by this. I mean, think about it. You're talking about a guy who serves in the United States House of Representatives that is now Speaker of the House, and he's concerned about the truth enough to do a podcast with his wife called Truth Be Told, where they talk about things from a biblical perspective, which persuades me that his faith is not something that he puts out there for political purposes, that his life is actually informed by his faith, and that he acts on things based on biblical principles. Uh, his website lists the core values of conservatism. This is what he believes conservatism is, individual freedom, limited government, the rule of law, peace through strength, that's a straight out of the Reagan doctrine, fiscal responsibility, free markets, and human dignity. So human dignity points toward the fact that he's staunchly pro-life. And of course, that's one of the things that the Democrats immediately jumped on him about. But I think because of the principal way in which he defends life, the argument that he makes, that that's going to be a great asset for him. Let me go ahead and play this. I've, I've got, um, if I can find it here, right quick, uh, the Washington Post. Believe it or not, the Washington Post put this um, out because they believe that the fact that he's pro-life is going to hurt him. So they're perfectly willing 
to um, come along and say, hey, this guy, you know, this guy's pro-life, he's radical, um, he's going to, he's gonna, and we're going to use that, we're going to try to paint him that, because we believe that, um, you know, over at the Washington Post, that people are actually pro-abortion, and that that's going to, that this is going to help him. All right, I, I can't find the clip right here. I just got, uh, pulled it up and brought it down to the bottom of the screen here again. I have no idea what happened to it. But anyway, what he was talking, what he did, let me just uh, kind of paraphrase it for you. He used the Declaration of Independence he, as, as the foundation for the law portion of protecting life. In other words, that the Constitution, that the Declaration of Independence says that we are endowed by our Creator, and he, he talks a lot about God as an evangelical Christian, endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, and among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he talks about life being critical, being precious, and, and should be protected because we are created in the image of our Creator, created in the image of God. And so he's making the kind of argument that I think we've got to, get, we've got to do a better job in making if we're going to win the public over. Because a lot of people are, um, they, they, they've kind of gotten to the point where the, the left has been able to persuade them that Republicans are extreme when it comes to pro-life, and they're being convinced that that you know we, we don't we, that yeah it's okay if we have abortion restrictions, but we don't need to protect life beginning at conception. And Republican lawmakers in particular, in particular, but also of course people of faith, pastors, evangelical leaders, we have we have got to get better at stepping into the marketplace, the marketplace of ideas, and make the argument. That, that abortion is wrong because it takes a human life that's created in the image of God and have a positive uh, explanation to why abortion is wrong and back it up historically and back it up constitutionally. And that's what Mike Johnson has been doing as a constitutional lawyer. Um, he does it very well. So um, he's a dedicated Trump supporter. This is another thing that Mike Johnson, it, it appeals to the conservatives in the House. Uh, Trump endorsed him for this position after Trump helped defeat uh, Emmer's nomination because Emmer was too moderate. Um, he, voted against, he voted against certifying the 2020 election, and he played a leading role in the court challenges against the validity of the election. But, but here's what he did. He joined the Texas. He, he wrote an uh, amicus brief, and he, he joined the Texas lawsuit <clears throat> that was brought against the 2020 election, which sort of centered on the fact that all of the COVID restrictions, all of the changes in so many states, these swing states, the changes in the election law that were done to make exceptions for COVID were unconstitutional because of the way that it opened up the voting process to fraud. Now, that impresses me, okay, because I think that we sometimes, as conservatives, we, we overbake the, uh, the fraud in the 2020 election, and we simply we, we make statements that are flamboyant. We talk about the voting machines being rigged. We talk, we just, we talk in general terms that sometimes are, are just inflammatory, while Mike Johnson's out here as a constitutional lawyer writing an amicus brief supporting a lawsuit that says, hey, the real problem here with 2020 and, and, and this is something that 
that, that progressives actually admitted that they used COVID as an, an excuse, an opportunity to craft election laws in these swing states that favored Democrats, that opened up the possibility of fraud. And, and I'm, I think that was the best way to go about this. I mean, that was, a, that was a legal path that at least had to have some consideration. Now, the Supreme Court whiffed because they ruled that Texas didn't have standing uh, to bring the lawsuit. I, I think they should have heard the evidence um, and particularly the amicus brief that was filed by Mike Johnson, who did a lot of work on this as a constitutional attorney, talking about how election laws in America have to be the same for everybody, and they can't change in the, in the middle of an election cycle. So um, I, I'm, I'm impressed uh, when, from what I'm hearing about Mike Johnson. By the way, if you're watching live on Facebook, uh, we're going to talk to Representative Ralph Norman from here in South Carolina Coming up at 8 o'clock this morning, uh, I know you'll want to hear that interview. And, of course, uh, those of you on the podcast won't matter about the time because you'll be listening whenever you're listening. Democrats immediately jumped on Johnson, of course. According to Politico, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee sent out a memo on messaging guidance to House Democrats on Wednesday outlining their strategy. So they didn't even wait. I mean, within uh, minutes of Johnson be ele being elected as the speaker, the, the Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee was messaging to Democrats about how to demonize Mike Johnson, which is not going to be easy to do. Let me just say, because he's not, he doesn't have a reputation as a flamethrower, um, he has a reputation of being conservative, of very much conservative, but he's not the guy who's out there making inflammatory statements all the time. So it's going to be hard for them to turn him into the devil with the blue dress on to the American public when they don't know him. And so, but they're going to try to define him, and it's going to be important for Mike John for Speaker Johnson and for let me say the Republican Party to get behind him and to get out there in front of the American people and to define who he is before the Democrats have an opportunity to demonize him and grab the, uh, oppor the, the opportunity to define him to the people. Uh, I do have, let's see if I can find it here. Um, I know I've got somewhere down here the statement that he released right after he was elected, and it, 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 really, is, it, it really is a good one. I mean, it's... Uh, the, here, this was posted on his website, but it says, It is the honor of a lifetime to have been elected the 56th Speaker of the House. Thank you to my colleagues, friends, staff, and family for the unmatched support throughout this process. It has been an artist's few, arduous excuse me, few weeks and a reminder that the House is as complicated and diverse as the people we represent. The urgency of this moment demands bold, decisive action to restore trust, advance our legislative priorities, and demonstrate good governance. Our House Republican Conference is united and eager to work. As Speaker, I will ensure the House delivers results, inspires change for the American people. We will restore trust in this body. We will advance a comprehensive conservative policy agenda, combat the harmful policies of the Biden administration, and support our allies abroad. Excuse me, and we will restore sanity to a government desperately in need of it. Now, I, I don't know about you, um, but that really encourages me. Uh, everything so far that I've seen or read about Mike Johnson tells me that he's a person of integrity, that 
He is a thinker. He's not going to knee-jerk react, but he's going to think deeply about uh, the issues, and what's going to guide him are principles that are rooted and grounded in the Bible. And now that doesn't mean he's going to be calling for uh, you know some kind of theocracy. It just simply means that his personal value system is tied to the Word of God, and, and that means that he's going to be a reasonable person and that he's going to be able to negotiate with people in good faith. So I, you know, here's let me get back to what the Democrats are saying about him. Quote, House Republicans may be breathing a short-sighted sigh of relief now that they've elected a new speaker, but their decision to elevate an anti-abortion extremist who has pushed to gut Social Security and Medicare and who was one of the main architects of the illegal attempt to overturn the 2020 election will lose them the majority in 2024. Yeah, well, um, that's according to Politico. And, and, and of course, that's they're just simply reporting the memo that the Democrats put out, put out. The Democrat campaign committee added in its dispatch that it is committed to ensuring every battleground member of the Republican conference is tied to Speaker Johnson's record. So they're going to try to use his record. They're going to try to tie their candidates to Johnson and turn him in to a, a MAGA extremist. And it's just not going to be easy. In fact, CNN was talking about this. You have um, uh, Gloria Borger is in, 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 in the title of the show today. I talked about the fact that Democrats are actually afraid of this guy. This is a lot of bravado. But when it comes to um, it, as far as what they actually think about him, I think hearing Borgia in this case um, is helpful because I think there are genuine concerns that Mike Johnson is going to be hard to demonize, even though the Democrat uh, campaign committee didn't waste any time in starting the campaign against him. Here's this clip from CNN yesterday. No, I think he is um, a person who's hard to demonize. You know, it's very easy to demonize somebody like a Jim Jordan who's a firebrand. He's out there, he's fighting, and and then Donald Trump can demonize an Emmer because he didn't uh, believe the election was rigged. But you have this kind of, I don't want to use the word milk toast. I, I, that's not quite the right word. He's um, a serious uh, person who is not prone to getting in big, huge fights with people. He is known as a listener, I was told. Uh, he is hugely conservative, but he doesn't wear it on his sleeve all the time. So he can get along with moderates uh, and listen to them. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Ukraine aid, for example. But, you know, he's not the devil incarnate. Okay, this, 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 is, this is amazing. This is the truth. I mean, Democrats, with, for all their bravado, all of their slur tactics that have already been released against Representative Mike Johnson, this is what is really on their mind. Uh, Gloria Borgia has opened the door here and and kind of let you into the mind of the Democrats on him. You you it's very difficult to demonize somebody who is just a nice guy. I mean, it's also very difficult to demonize somebody who has very uh, strong beliefs, but as she said, he doesn't wear those beliefs on his sleeve. They're there. Everybody knows them, but. He's not constantly picking a fight. He's not combative. 
Um, and you know, Trump endorsed the, the guy, and I, I'm I'm a little bit surprised um, it, that uh, Trump would come out and endorse him because in, Trump's going to endorse anybody that a believes believes the election was stolen in 2020, and b likes Trump. I mean, that, those are the requirements basically to be endorsed by by President Trump. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's a thing that that's the truth. But and, and but but Mike Johnson is not cut from the mold of Donald Trump because for one thing Mike Johnson's core values are fueled and grounded in biblical truth and uh, and and so that's what that's what's going to drive him that's where his decisions are going to be made that's what's going to inform him and then when when you add to that the fact that he has the brilliant mind of a constitutional lawyer and the personality of someone who is easy to get along with, a listener, you heard Gloria Borgia talk about that, somebody who's willing to listen to moderates in his own party and to consider their viewpoint. This is somebody that the Democrats fear. Don't let them kid you, because they would have loved for Jim Jordan. They were, I mean, they were licking their chops that Jim Jordan would be elected speaker. Now, don't misunderstand me personally. I, I like Jim Jordan. I, I, I like the fact that he's combative. I mean, the, the Republican Party needs fighters. They need people who are going to take strong stands and they're going to be unapologetic in the way that they speak. But in leadership positions, I think in the, in the atmosphere that we have in the country right now, where the, the number one priority of both parties is to paint the other party as extremist, it's a good thing for the Republicans to have a, a thinking, listening man of faith that's going to be leading the party. I, I just think that that's a that that's a home run. I mean, I'm I'm really excited about the fact that they turn to Mike Johnson. Uh, he didn't respond, by the way, yesterday to, to request for a comment on what Democrats were saying, which is wise. Look, just don't get into that fight. Now, can you imagine somebody putting a microphone in front of President Trump and saying, what do you think about what the Democrats are saying about you? I mean, he's going to pounce. He's going to say some inflammatory things. And the, a lot of people in the Republic, Republican Party are going to eat that up. But the problem with it is that at the same time that, it's, that comments are, that are inflammatory are inspiring and ginning up the base, it's pushing away people that the Republican Party needs in order to win elections. And it doesn't matter how conservative we are. It doesn't matter that our ideas are the best and that we can lead the country in the right direction if we can't win elections. I believe we can. I believe the majority of Americans are, are more conservative than they're willing to, even to reveal to pollsters because they're afraid they're going to be demonized in the, in, by, their, by their friends or they might even lose their job if they come out and talk about conservative values and principles as it relates to sexuality, as it relates to life, as it <clears throat> relates to fiscal issues. But I believe that's where the, a, a majority of the American people are. But if it's portrayed in a mean or combative way, and, and I know people, people get upset when I start talking about people being, being mean, but I'm just telling you, you come across as mean and you're not going to get, there, there's a segment of the voting population that still makes decisions based on 
what they think about the personality or the values of the person that we're talking about. And Mike Johnson is a guy that's going to be difficult to demonize because he just comes across as somebody who believes what he believes and he wants to lead the country based on what those beliefs are. And he believes, like I do, that a majority of the Republican um, people, I mean Republican people, a majority of the people in this country would agree. Uh, Politico reported that Representative Dusty Johnson, who's from South Dakota, he's a Republican from South Dakota, he stepped up. Um, he said, "He said, look, I, I don't think Democrats are going to be able to attack this guy. If Democrats, he said, quote, if Democrats think they're going to uh, beat swing state Republicans by tying them to Mike Johnson, good luck. Johnson is smart, decent, and hardworking. He's not going to be an easy guy to villainize. I like that. That's a great statement. Listen to these descriptors. Smart, decent, hardworking. That's what most Americans are. The majority. Now, there's plenty of, uh, of lazy Americans. There's plenty of Americans that don't think very deeply. Um, and there's plenty of Americans that would rather live off the government than to go out and make a hardworking living. But I think the majority fall in this category, smart, decent, and hardworking. And they're going to get behind somebody like Mike Johnson. And the more the Democrats go after somebody like that to try to paint him in a negative light, I think that's going to turn off voters who see him as a steady leader, who's, who's basically leading by a set of values that they mostly agree with. He earned, of course, um, uh, the full-throated endorsement of National Republican Congressional, Congressional Committee Chair Richard Hudson. Hudson said, I know Mike cares deeply about our conference. He understands our majority is the last line of defense against the Democrats and will work relentlessly with the NRCC. That's the National Republican Campaign Committee, to go on offense. He will. Listen, he wasn't a—as as a constitutional attorney, he leaned into this lawsuit that Texas brought. He led, uh, uh, lent his voice to that lawsuit in the amicus brief, and he was one of the ones who went deeply into the reasons that the 2020 election— could have been ruled unconstitutional, not because of the peripheral things that everybody likes to talk about, but the core thing that so many states changed their law based on COVID, or at least they use that as as a uh, sort of as the reason. All right, we're we're going to be hearing from Representative Ralph Norman here in just a few minutes, so I want you to stay with us. He'll be calling in um, actually here any minute. And we're looking forward to that conversation because, uh, obviously, Congressman Norman is one of the most conservative um, uh, people in in Congress, um, and he is uh, he's been he's kind of become um, a hero here in South Carolina, at least among conservatives. So, what about his voting record? Well, Mike Johnson's got a ninety percent conservative voting record from the Heritage Foundation. So again, he's just as conservative as Jim Jordan, uh, but because he's almost an unknown, he appealed to those moderates who are trying to win re-election uh, re in blue or purple states. Um, and, and like we said, they, he, he, they wouldn't vote for Jordan because they believed that he was a flamethrower and that would be too easy. They, they, there's, it would be too easy to demonize uh, Jordan and to uh, paint Republicans that need to get reelected as being extremist. Um, so uh, there were 126 Republican, Republican lawmakers, by the way, 
that he led by filing the amicus brief to the Supreme Court alleging that authorities in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, these swing states, usurped the constitutional authority of state legislatures when they loosened voting restrictions because of the pandemic. Now, again, they... They reject the Supreme Court rejected this because of lack of standing of Texas. They didn't reject it because the arguments were not sound. Uh, this is one of my regrets. I think the, the Supreme Court could have gone a long way into restoring the integrity uh, or people's confidence, I should say, in the integrity of the election system by taking that case and judging it on its merits, listening to people like Representative Mike Johnson, who knew what they were talking about and, and had a constitutional basis for making the challenge, it would have been better if the Supreme Court had listened to those arguments and ruled rather than just simply saying, no, we're not going to hear the case because we don't believe you have standing. Uh, in May, Representative Johnson votes, voted against sending more aid to Ukraine. All right, uh, Representative Ralph Norman is calling, so we're going to go ahead and bring him up here and talk to him. Good morning, Representative Norman. How are you? Doing fine. Well, excellent. Listen, um, are you like me? Do you think this is a great day for conservatives because Mike Johnson's going to be the speaker? Oh, it's a great day for the taxpayers. It's a great day for conservatives. And we finally have a man who does what he says and not just spout political talk. So it's a, it's a great day. You know, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think is really going to appeal to the American people. Democrats, of course, are already, try already trying to demonize him, turn him into some kind of uh, right-wing extremist. But it's going to be difficult to do with him because, as has been said of him, he's a decent, hardworking guy who's a deep thinker, and he comes across as very likable. And, you know, whether we like it or not, People today, when you're talking about politics, they want somebody who's likable to be our leader in some way. Well, and plus, he's he's a rarity in that politicians today, many of them that I serve with are great people, but many of them really say one thing and do another. Yeah. He has got a track record, and I am glad the Democrats uh, are criticizing because we're, if they were praising praising him, that would mean they were, uh, he was a wrong man, but right. Mike is a right man. It's the right time. It's got a track record that backs it up. I actually think, uh, representative Norman, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I think Democrats are afraid of him because he's smart and because he does have, uh, values that he's willing to fight for and to do it from, uh, for, by just leading the, the Republicans in the house. Well, it is. And it's just a breath of fresh air having him, as the speaker and this has been people ask me all the time you know give me a, a reason why did y'all not like mccarthy this isn't a spur of the moment thing this happened back in january where the truthfulness it was simply not there you couldn't trust what the man said and the sad part about it he was trying to undermine each one of the candidates as they came up so he could get back in power he was trying to put his name and did on 40 some secret ballots and I'm, we're sick of that kind of thing. If he wanted to run for speaker, put his name up there, go through the gauntlet of questions, and he just he operates in the back room, and that's what people are tired of, and that's why Mike Johnson will not do that. Wow, uh, Representative Norman, that's uh, that, that's not being widely reported. I mean, I don't think I've seen that hardly anywhere um, in the news media. And I'm not shocked by that, 
But so you're saying that that uh, Kevin McCarthy was actually undermining those votes, hoping that eventually he would get back in the speaker's chair. Oh yeah, with 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 Mike Johnson, and with, really with all of them, with Scalise, with Emmer, with Jordan, he was saying that he was supporting them, but he just wasn't. And in the case of Mike Johnson, uh, the other night he was having his surrogates go out, and we had secret ballot votes. He had 41 that he convinced people to sign on. The problem is he didn't want it out. And then when I think it was Drew Ferguson from Georgia. Right. Uh, said, we want to know who the other, uh, who's listed as other. And she finally, at least finally, had to say, well, it's McCarthy. Wow. And that's just not, it's, it's unethical. Yeah. See, that's why he's in the, that's why he's out as speaker. Because right. you, there are a lot of us, they can't threaten us with taking pres- co- committees away, which they did in January. And we don't care what the power is. We're going to get the right man at the right time. And Mike Johnson is that man. Talk about, for just a minute, about why some of the other candidates were rejected. Now, I, I, I believe Emmer was rejected because he didn't get conservative support and probably re- really shouldn't have gotten much conservative support because he's more of a moderate. But what about Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise? What, what was the problem that was perceived about them that they couldn't be elevated to speaker? Each, If you ask each member that voted against them, they had their particular particular reasons um with with both of them to be honest with you and they were both good men they would have been great spokesmen and you know now steve scalise the issue a lot of people had including me was he's undergoing chemo right and the if you're totally healthy the problem you have with a job that demands 24 7 uh running speaking you know, getting policy together, and it's just a demanding job. That was a big factor with me and others. Right. With Jim Jordan, I couldn't understand why. I mean, Jim was the best spokesman we had, particularly going into the 24 elections with the presidential race. If we don't replace this rogue administration, the whole country cannot survive it, in my opinion. But Jim, you know, was outspoken on his views and, Again, different people had different reasons for not voting for him. But right. with Mike, I mean, imagine getting 220 Republicans to vote yes. Yes. That's, Every Republican. Uh, that's, that's incredible. I, I yeah. was just amazed I'd say, Well, it was. Now, let me tell you another fact that's not being reported. He, and I didn't find out this until a year, well, a little over a year ago. And he ruined, he's in his sleeps in his office like I do right down the hall from him. But he, they took in a, a black little black boy when he was young because he was sleeping under the bleachers at, at one of his local high schools and raised and educated wow this this child yeah. and uh, he doesn't spout that he doesn't say anything about it but that's a that's a good man and a good family well and he's he's a southern baptist i mean i was really uh, uh you know amazed to hear that as an evangelical christian he said that his faith informs everything that he does and that's going to be a major factor, I think, for evangelicals uh, supporting him and and being glad that issues that they're concerned about are going to rise to the top with him as speaker. And it's not just words. I mean, if you listen to his speeches, and the, we invited all of the media into the uh, in Longworth when we elected 
Mike when he got the votes and his speeches, you know, he starts off with his faith. Right. And it's not empty words. He he means it. He's lived it. And he continued. He will do that as Speaker of the House. I can't think of a speaker that we've had that's got the faith that that Mike Johnson has. And I'm glad the Democrats are unhappy because if they're happy, then it means it's wrong. man. Then we, yeah, what, exactly. a, what a great guy. Yeah. All right. What about going forward? Let's talk a little bit, a little bit about the challenges. Now we've got, we've got to try to work out a budget plan. We've got to try to figure out what we're going to do about funding for Ukraine. Are we going to be able to separate that from funding for Israel? Um, how, how do you see going forward, uh, Mike's leadership, Speaker Johnson's leadership on those issues? And where do you think we're going to land? Well, the great thing about what he's doing is he is putting the committees back to work. We were supposed to be out uh, next week. We're coming back to Washington, D.C. to work, which is as it should be. The eight remaining appropriation bills, he's put those on the fast track. And the great thing about Mike, he'll, he will not just you know say go meet. He will get with the committee chairman and, and will uh, lay out a path and a timeline that they have to meet. And he will will help them meet that goal because November 17th is coming up very quickly. And we'll probably have to go to another continuing resolution of funding probably through January, February. Right. But he gets a buy because we know he's trying and it's not his fault that it's taken as long as it, as it has to, to, to get a speaker and lose, you know, lose the work time. But the other thing too, Mike did not want this job. It's not something he went after. He, we came to him and again is, but he'll set the agenda with the committees. He will bring bills to the to the floor, like the Israel resolution right after he was elected Right last night. Like he will let the balanced budget amendment come to the floor and vote on, which again, McCarthy would not let come to the floor because he didn't believe in it. And it, it, he will, from the spending standpoint and getting something over to the Senate for them to have to, uh, deal with, he will do that, and he'll, he'll have the support to do it. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the two big issues. Uh, we've talked about the budget just now and where that's likely to go. I want to talk about Israel for for just a minute. Obviously, um, I was reading the news overnight that said that Israel uh, conducted a, a sort of a limited ground invasion into Gaza, took out some uh, anti-tank weapons, were able to take out some missile launching sites, and to uh, sort of disrupt the command and control structure of Hamas. They're mapping out the tunnels and all that they're going to have to do when they actually launch the ground invasion. But how would you grade President Biden so far on the way that he's responded to this? A lot of people are now being critical because it seems that the Biden administration is under the table trying to hold back the invasion of Gaza while Netanyahu and the Israeli government says that that's going to have to happen. They have to eliminate Hamas. Well, imagine the massacre that took place in Israel. And for a sitting president of the United States who supposedly supports Israel as the only democracy in the Middle East, to give money to uh, our foreign adversaries, $9 billion to Iran, I think it's been frozen now, but the guy is completely sold out. How would I rate him? A zero. Yeah. The man is is compromised, not just with China, but we're, we're buying oil, which we've got here in America, buying it and, and giving our enemies money to kill uh, to kill 
Right, uh, our allies the, and Americans. Our allies, correct. So uh, we, I agree with the funding. It's got to be paid for, but you've got to separate the the funding for Israel from the funding from Ukraine because Ukraine's already had over $100 billion. Right. And a lot of people have thought have different thoughts that, one, it needs to be audited. Two, and I strongly feel like it's, you got to have cuts to pay for it. No more borrowing money we don't have. And then separate all all these bills so people can, can vote it up or down, which it'll, Israel would be the compromise. I don't think, uh, I think, uh, they will fund um, the, the a lot of the dollars once they explain where it's going. And Biden is going to have to make sure for Israel particularly that the money gets where it needs to because yes. he simply, I don't think he supports Israel. What do you think the chances are at this point that this war expands? I mean, are we going to end up in a shooting war with Iran over this? Uh, I know that's a possibility. And how confident are you? and the United States military to be able to handle Iran if they step into the battle full throat? We're in the greatest, um, I think, threat this country has ever faced, both internally and uh, from Iran, who is, you know, if they'll do that to their own people, if Hamas, which is what Iran supports Hamas, yeah. uh, they will, you know, have no second thoughts about killing Americans. That's the sad part. The other sad part, the sleeper cells that are in the United States now, because of an open border policy of letting everyone in, right. over 150 countries, there are over 3,000 that we know are non-terrorists, they're in America now. So the thoughts of us fighting wars, as always, overseas, no, it's going to be a war here. And the terrorists have to be right one time, the police uh, have to be right 100 percent of the time, and it can't can't ha- it just can't happen. So, I'm not we're in a dangerous situation, yes. and I just hope and pray that we can have a turnaround in the administration before disaster hits. Look what China is circling Taiwan now, which is a trading partner for has been a trading partner with America for a long period of time. Well, so it's dangerous, and unfortunately, it's it's avoidable, but not with this president who leads with weakness. You know, I, I saw something today, uh, Congressman, that just really bothered me at, at, at my core, and that's that Afghanistan is now meeting with China, and they're talking about the Belt and Road Program being able to help the Afghanistan, the Taliban in Afghanistan. Now, this is after... The United States has poured blood and treasure into that country. We walk away, and now the Chinese are going to step in and have another ally that's going to make it more difficult for the United States to operate. I, I just that that just that that kills me. <laughs> it really does. Well, it's he sold out, and I mean that's why he left again. Left Afghanistan, left the billions of dollars in arms and equipment, uh, left Americans there. That's um that's just what he does. He's he's more on the side of the terrorists than he is with Americans, and this is it's a tragic day for this country. Every day that this man stays in power, the Biden administration needs to be uh, they need to be out um, sooner rather than later, and hopefully impeachment will come. The sad part: look who's backing him up. I mean, uh, Kamala Harris is is right about it is probably as bad as Biden, but you know, you play the cards you dealt. We just have a weekend right now. Well, let's wrap up with a little talk about the election because um, obviously 
Uh, I think eventually the attention of the country is going to turn back to it, of course. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's over, that Trump has such an insurmountable lead that he will be the Republican nominee, even with all of his legal troubles. Uh, how, how do you foresee that playing out, Congressman Norman? I mean, how how will we get by with get through this with President Trump, with the possibility of him being convicted in some of these cases? Can we can we still get him elected president? Well, I mean, I've, President Trump did an amazing job the four years, despite the headwinds that the liberals gave him, and the, you know, the, it's sad he's having to go through these legal battles yes. because particularly they've weaponized every agency under the Biden administration and Trump is paying a price for that. And uh, his policies were great. Uh, I'm supporting Nikki Haley because I think that we need eight years. We need somebody young. Now, can Trump get elected? Yes. Is it a foregone conclusion? I don't think it is. A day in politics is a lifetime. Right. So, We'll see how it plays out. The, we've got the upcoming debates, which I think Trump probably will participate in at some point. But let's let the American people decide. And the, the, the problem with President Trump is he brings out every Democrat in this country to vote against him. Right. And his, his policies have been great, though. And I like the man, but I just think it's time for new leadership uh, when it comes to the problems we're facing. In your endorsement of, uh, of, of uh, Ambassador Haley, what was it that drew you to her message? I know you were talking about the youth, but and which, of course, is a factor with her. But but what else made you consider that she was the one that you wanted support? Her foreign policy experience. I, she and I came in the state legislature in South Carolina at the same time. She took on the establishment. She is a Margaret Thatcher, you know, the old saying, mm-hmm. a velvet glove and an iron fist. Uh, that's what she brings. And she does what she says, and she's just the right person at the right time, kind of like Mike Johnson, I think. And they, they will stonewall uh, President Trump for 48 months, right. and you just we can't surrender that. And so that's – and we've got great candidates, so – I supported Nikki. You've got different members supporting DeSantis and other members, but I mean, other candidates, but, uh, it was serving with her. I know her when she ran for governor, I was the only uh, sitting member of the legislature that endorsed her and she won. I think she will win this. And I think the policies will be great. Well, thank you, Congressman Norman, for giving us so much of your time this morning. We appreciate you. Uh, Congressman Ralph Norman, fifth district here in South Carolina, conservative leader, uh, has the confidence of the people in South Carolina. God bless you. Appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Yes, sir. All right. Um, wow. How about that? Uh, the information about Kevin McCarthy. Now, I don't think anybody uh, would be necessarily surprised by that. Politics is, is messy business and working behind the scenes, trying to undermine candidates. But when you are doing that at, at a time that you're publicly saying that we the, the House needs to come together, that the House needs to uh, unify around a candidate, and then candidates that the conference is supporting. If Kevin McCarthy, and I, I, I have no reason to doubt Ralph Norman's word, uh, Congressman Norman's word, I, I, I know, um, I mean, he's a man of integrity, and I'm sure what he's telling us is true. For Kevin McCarthy uh, to be going around behind the scenes and trying to undermine what the conference actually had decided when they picked a candidate, uh, just because he wanted to get back into the speaker chair, um, that's that's information that the American people certainly 
need to know. Um, all right, we were talking about um, Congressman Johnson. I was giving you some information about him. In May, he voted against sending more aid to Ukraine. He explained his vote to the Shreveport Times, saying that the United States, quote, should not be sending another $40 billion abroad where our own bo- when our own border is in chaos. American mothers are struggling to find baby formula. Gas prices are at record highs, and American families are struggling to make ends meet without sufficient oversight over where the money will go. I think most Republicans would vote for more aid to Ukraine. Uh, they don't want. I don't think Republicans that are opposing aid right now want to cut off funds to Ukraine because they don't want to see the you know, Ukrainians victorious over the Russians in this war. I think what they're concerned about is what Mike Johnson put into words here. They're genuinely concerned about the fact that we're not doing anything on our southern border except allowing it to be wide open, and at the same time, we're sending money where we have no accountability, or at least not enough accountability uh, to satisfy a lot of the conservatives. I think if there could be accountability tied to this, you can't just keep writing checks if you don't know where the money is going, if you ran your household that way, how long would your household be able to stand if you were just writing money out of the bank account without considering where the money's going? So I think it's a legitimate question. This, again, impresses me about Mike Johnson, because Speaker Johnson, because he's asking the right questions, making the right statements about accountability before we just simply spend the money. And he's already come out and, and said very clearly that um, you know, President Biden shouldn't have linked funding for Ukraine and funding for Israel because Republicans basically told him that that would be something that was that was just not going to work. Um, all right, let me see if I can find this. Uh, I I think I've got the a clip here from uh, Mike Johnson, Speaker Johnson. This is from CBS News where he was talking about the resolution. One of his first acts was to pass a resolution that the House should have passed a long time ago. If that had the leadership, they would have. But this is the resolution supporting Israel. Uh, Our our nation's greatest ally in the Middle East is under attack. The first bill that I'm going to bring to this floor in just a little while will be in support of our dear friend Israel. And we're overdue in getting that done. We're going to show not only Israel, but the entire world that the barbarism of Hamas that we have all seen play out on our television screens is wretched and wrong. And we are going to stand for the good in that conflict. Okay, this is this is so overdue and so needed and so full throated, so direct. I mean, I'm, I'm just glad that he wasn't ambiguous. Israel is the good guy in this fight. Hamas is the bad guy. Now, uh, is it as black and white in that as that? Well, when it comes to what has been done to Israel, when it comes to the fact that Israel is the country that is cautious about civilian casualties and, and that is- Israel actually has a concept of a civilian instead of under Sharia law where Hamas has the concept of the people as subjects. And therefore, they're just pawns in the war. 
And the evil thing, I'm thankful that he was willing to portray Hamas as, as evil, as something that um, it, you cannot have a negotiation with terrorists who will lie. Um, they, they have no compunction about that. They, they will use any kind of method, any kind of propaganda. They're using the hostages right now. I don't know if you saw the, saw the story, but another hostage, one of the hostages that was released her husband is still being held, and yet the the media, the news media, the legacy media, interviewed her and sort of pushed the the things that she was saying. And they had to know that because her husband was still being held, that she was not going to say anything that was true about Hamas, but for the sake of her husband. And so, in a way, you you be, you become someone who's aiding and abetting the propaganda war of Hamas if you allow a hostage that's been released to to speak, and you you don't take into consideration that what she's saying is under duress. Now, now they may have said that the 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 media. I think many of the the outlets reported that her husband was still being held captive, but. I, I don't understand the rush to put her face and her comments out there in public, knowing that it's going to be used as propaganda propaganda against Israel. Um, on a couple of other fronts, the Washington Post reported concerning LGBTQ plus issues. The radical human rights campaign gave Speaker Johnson a zero on their congressional scorecard. You know what that means to me? It means that I add a one and another zero to make it a hundred score that he should get from conservatives. The fact that he's zero with the human rights campaign is another reason that he should be the Speaker of the House, that I'm delighted to see him elected. He introduced legislation last year according to the Post, modeled after Florida's law. And, of course, it's being the, the Washington Post is going to say Florida's don't say gay bill, even though that's not in the law. It's just simply keeping uh, LGBTQ issues out from in front of kindergarten through third grade. I mean, these, these are children that don't need to be thinking about the uh, gender or same-sex issues, they need to be learning to read and to write and to do math and the things that are foundational and fundamental. And having conversations about gender and sexuality at such a young age is actually detrimental. So he introduced a bill that would have prohibited discussion of sexual orientation and gender identity as well as related subjects at any institution that receives federal funds. He wanted to use that as a model for the country, and I, I admire that because I think Ron DeSant, Governor DeSantis was right about uh, signing that bill and promoting that bill, and I think Speaker Johnson was right as a representative um, from Louisiana to try to push a national bill that would do the same thing. Uh, he also opposes gender-affirming care for minors. Now, that's the language of the Washington Post. In other words, he has. He doesn't want puberty blockers or across hormone treatments, and he views that as adults inflicting harm on helpless children to affirm their worldview. That that's an excellent statement. That's exactly what happens with minors when minors uh, are being pushed to make decisions about gender as early as as five years old. Um, and all the way up into, uh, you know, receiving puberty blockers that their parents would approve of that. 
something that can alter them for the rest of their life when they're too young at that stage to be making decisions like this. Their parents should be guiding them to find their own identity in the gender that they were born with, in the, in the just basic biology should be followed, instead of parents trying to inflict, which I believe is true, a worldview that includes LGBTQ issues on their children before they're old enough to understand that, or, and, and f- causing them to make decisions that could alter them for the rest of their life. Now, November 6th, First Baptist North Spartanburg, uh, the Palmetto family is, sponsor- is sponsoring uh, Chloe Cole, who is a detransitioner, someone who at 15 years old had a double mastectomy. Uh, she went through all of the transitioning, and now she realizes that you know God has made her uh, to be a female, and she's trying to detransition. And she's talking about, she's going to talk about on November 6th at First Baptist North Spartanburg, she's going to talk about all of the pressure that was brought to bear on her uh, to, to move her toward gender uh, transforming surgery. And so you don't want to miss that event. You can go to to find out more about it. It's a free event. It's not going to cost you anything to come. You, you just need to, um, it, you know, we're, so we, we know that we've got plenty. It's going to be heavy hors d'oeuvres. Um, but you can go to palmettafamily.org, uh, and you'll find plenty of information about the event, how you can get involved. There's going to be a luncheon that day at First Baptist North Spartanburg for uh, legislative leaders because there's going to be a push in January in South Carolina to pass a law in South Carolina protecting minors from having hormone treatments, uh, from having uh, puberty blockers, and from having any kind of gender-altering surgery as a minor. We don't have a law passed in this state about that. Now, the le- it's not that the legislature has done nothing. In fact, uh, State Senator Josh Kimbrell pointed out that there was money going uh, to in Charleston for this, and, and they were able to take it out of the budget. They were able to expose it and, and to stop it. And so this is, as important as that is, we need a law protecting minors, and hopefully this luncheon is going to inspire some of these legislators to get behind that law as the session resumes in January. All right, um, before we run out of time here, um, I wanted to, we talked a little bit, little bit about what happened overnight. This is according to the Times of Israel. Israel Defense Forces deployed a limited ground incursion into Gaza overnight, sending infantry forces and tanks up to a kilometer into the northern part of the Strip, the military said Thursday morning. The targeted raid appeared to be the most significant ground offensive into the Palestinian enclave since war broke out earlier this month as the IDF prepares a full-scale invasion to eliminate Hamas led by the Gavadi Infantry Brigade and the 162nd Armored Division. This was preparing the border area, quote, for the next stages of the war. And they, they eliminated terrorists, neutralized threats, dismantled explosives, neutralized ambushes, uh, took out missile, um, uh, some missile batteries, took out some anti-tank weapons, that would be critical that those weapons are taken out before the tanks begin to roll in in force into Gaza. And right now, it's obvious that the Biden administration is trying to hold Israel back from a ground invasion. Um, all these Western leaders that are going to Israel, they know that as long as they're there, Israel can't begin to conduct a ground war 
while they have uh, leaders in, in their country. And so all of that is an attempt, I believe, to prevent or to delay the ground war. There are three things right now, if you think about it, that are keeping Israel from launching the ground war. One is pressure from the United States. Two is, uh, and from the West, two is the hostage situation. They're trying to locate and free as many hostages as possible because Israel knows as soon as they begin to move in, you're going to have horrible, horrific videos of hostages being executed or being tortured or begging for relief um, as as part of the propaganda war that Hamas is going to wage against Israel. And then the third thing is the supply chain. I mean, you've got close to 400,000 soldiers. Israel's been fighting wars with jets and the, and Iron Dome. And what, what they're going to be doing now to do a ground war requires an infrastructure supply chain uh, for those forces, making sure that as they move into Gaza, they've got everything they need. Now, all of that is complete. That's been done. So you can take that one off the table. So the only th- two things left are the hostages and the fact that the United States and the West, and led by the United States, is putting pressure on Israel to wait before they go into Gaza. And I don't know how much longer that can go, but it's it's really, they're, they're going to have to move pretty soon. All right, quickly, uh, Robert Card is uh, uh, is in the news. In fact, he's in the wind. Uh, they're trying to, to find him uh, right now because he killed 22 people uh, in a mass shooting event in Maine. This is coming from Fox News today. At least 22 people were killed and 30 more injured following a shooting in Lewiston, Maine, that took place at two locations on Wednesday night. A law enforcement source told Fox News. Maine Public Safety Commissioner Mike Shoshchuk said during a Wednesday night press conference that he wouldn't comment on the number of victims, that the situation was very fluid, but we now know at least 22 people have died. And it, it turned, and they haven't located cards. So they've got a lockdown in Maine. I and mean, they're telling people to stay inside their homes because he's considered, obviously, to be armed and dangerous. A Marine law enforcement bulletin shared with Fox News Digital states that Card is a trained firearms instructor believed to be in the Army Reserve stationed out of Seiko, Maine. Uh, the bulletin also states that Card recently reported mental health issues, including hearing voices, hearing voices and threats to shoot up the National Guard base that where he was, he's stationed in Seiko. And according to the document, Card was committed to a mental health facility for two weeks over the summer before he was released. And by the way, being committed means that he didn't voluntarily go into a mental health facility. He had to be committed. And according to the law, he's not supposed to be able to acquire firearms. If you're committed to a mental facility, you shouldn't be able to purchase or to be able to possess firearms. And yet, and you know, when we talk about red flag laws, the fact that we, and, and this is an argument, quite frankly, against red flag laws simply because this is someone who under current law would have been flagged to not be able to get weapons. Well, he obviously has them. And that is part of the challenge with with red flag laws. How do you, and and, and in, in principle, I understand the red flag law. It is to prevent people who have been committed to a mental institution or has mental health issues that are obvious is to prevent them from being able to get a weapon and do what CARD has done. But the challenge is how in the world do you enforce that? Uh, I think enforcement would be very difficult 
And there's a lot of opportunity for law-abiding citizens to be caught up in a red flag law that would um, cause them to lose their right to have a firearm. Again, it comes back to law-abiding. If you're law-abiding, then you don't need a law to take away your weapons because you're not going to be guilty of doing what CARD has done here. And if you're not law-abiding, laws that prevent you from getting a weapon is not going to prevent you from getting a weapon because you don't care about the law. All right, that's all the time we've got. We're going to continue this discussion tomorrow. A lot of uh, good stuff today on the program. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Give me a, a good review uh, at Spotify and at Apple Podcasts. And if you like the Facebook program, if you're watching live and you've enjoyed the show today, if you would help me by actually uh, sharing that and telling your other Facebook friends that this is a program that you enjoy, so they might enjoy it too. Hope you have a great day. God bless you. I'll see you in the morning again live at 730 and tomorrow on the podcast for everybody that's following.